Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. With a badge, a cattle prod, and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's another day, another cock-up for this government. Today's big question is, does anyone in the Home Office actually know what is going on in the Immigration Department? It's emerged that 1,600 skilled IT workers and engineers were denied visas to work here from outside of the EU countries because of a surge in applications. Nobody knows why there's been a surge. Could it be because people from the EU are leaving? Could it be because people who are already living here are not actually applying for those jobs? Even as Sajid Javid is attempting to get to the bottom of the window, Rush fiasco, it's becoming more and more clear that the Tier 2 visa system set up by Theresa May before she became Prime Minister isn't actually fit for purpose. How utterly shambolic. 0344 499 1000. Katy Perry is back, so I'll be asking her what on earth is going on inside Downing Street, where apparently they've also just worked out the two custom scenarios they're looking at for Brexit might in fact be against the law. Total genius going on here. And we'll be asking you how far away you are from financial ruin. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and Katie Perrier on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I'd like to make myself believe. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 0344 is the number to call. Uh, we seem to be in the middle of a crisis, uh, not just of immigration proportions, but also uh, of employment proportions as well, because we don't seem to know why we can't produce enough IT engineers, IT uh, staff, IT specialists, teachers, doctors. I mean, every time you turn around in a hospital, I mean, you've been in hospitals a few times, there are not, not enough nurses, there are not enough doctors. You know, basically you find yourself wondering how on earth they can actually cope from a day-to-day basis without actually completely utterly collapsing on themselves. I mean, I've been in, as you say, hospital a few times in the last few weeks. And, you know, five-hour waits for a doctor isn't mm. completely unusual. You know, trauma centres, two to three hours for an X-ray because they don't have enough staff and don't have enough rooms. So it's across the board. And actually, when you're looking at people coming to study here in the first place, and then often when they study and they want to stay on to, to work yeah. in the NHS or work in IT or something like that, those kind of numbers are looking not as promising as they used to. Yeah. So we need to fill them with our own people or we need to find a way to make sure that those jobs can be fulfilled. And at the moment, what we're seeing is that businesses are putting their hand in the pocket, they're applying for visas, they're paying for the process because they can't hire people here and what they're getting is being told by the government is no, sorry, yeah. we've reached a quota. I don't know who voted for a 20,700 quota. Yeah. It was never in a manifesto. No. I don't know of that number. It's the first time I've learned about it today. Well, exactly. Why is it that number? Make it 30,000. Yeah. Just, just a couple but of it months. was another one of these policies brought in by Theresa May when she was at the Home Office. Let's talk to Peter, uh, who's in South London. Hi, Peter. Hi, Peter. Hi. Yeah, hi. hi. What would you like to say, Peter? Hello? Yeah, hi. hi. What would you like to say? Yeah, well, Mike, Katie, I, I, I don't know if we're looking at the right thing here. Okay. And I, and I do understand that this, this number's come out of nowhere and it sounds like, you know, some ditzy person from nowhere has thought something up on the back of a phone baguette. Mm. But isn't the deeper problem here, or, or the real problem, actually our own capacity? 
not not what we bring in from outside, but the fact that we have none of our own people who can fill these slots themselves. Right. And why is it easier and cheaper? And it, because it is ultimately easier and cheaper for businesses to bring in people outside rather than to have some government investment or some national investment in our own training capabilities to actually fill vacancies with people who are incidentally unemployed in the UK yeah. and or not employed enough in the UK because everyone's on this gig economy. No, indeed. I mean, we got that uh, tweet earlier from someone who said that probably companies are more uh, willing to perhaps employ short-term uh, people from abroad who know, already know what they're doing rather than train up people from this country, which seems a very odd and short-termist way of looking at the world. Well, I, I agree with you. I have to declare an interest. Go on. I'm, I'm, I'm an independent in the IT game. OK. Right? And, and I'm not going anywhere with this, but we have had a tendency to offshore things like a squillion things that we could over to various parts of the world, yeah. Philippines, India, yada, yada, yada. Right. And we've also had a large tendency to onshore people. And what that means is, you know, one of your big IT support companies will say, well, we really need some face-to-face -face time with you guys to get the right job, and so we need to bring, like, 30 of our people in. Right. Now, I've got no problem with that, but here's the rub. The Home Office or the government should say, you know what, you can bring 20 people on, and then you can train 10 Brits. Yes to do the same thing, because if because there's a strategic interest. If every piece of our national infrastructure is owned and driven, yeah, at the back end by a third-party country, then strategically we have lost, technically we have lost control mm. of our stuff. Yeah. Right? And, I mean, are there enough people out there, do you think, that are coming out of school ready to be trained up as an IT specialist, or is that a problem as well? Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not wholly sure. I don't have children. Um, I don't know, you know, the, I'm not down with the kids, man. Mm. But, you know, the, if, you, if you said to kids the following things, here's a job for you. You can dig a ditch for 40 hours a week and you can get blisters on your hands and get suntanned on your, on, your, on your temples or you can sit in a nice air-conditioned office and do something that's actually going to uh, pay you the same amount of money for half the effort yeah. and actually possibly even open up more things to do I'm pretty sure I know what I would do if I was a kid. Yeah, no, absolutely. But that's what I mean. I mean, maybe we're not giving them the options in school uh, that, they, that they know that these jobs are, are available and it's a good area to go into. Well, what I fail to understand, uh, Mike, and this is where I've got a bit of a problem with the education sector, really, is, is that th th this is just actually simple maths. You know, the, the maths are that, you know, we've got a bunch of unemployed people who we pay money to, Right. And the government pays the money for those people via our taxes. OK, so there's a pot of unemployed on one side. And then we import a load of other people to do vacancies. Yeah. So that, that when these people have done the vacancies and they leave, we still have a skills gap on the right. And we are still paying for a bunch of unemployed people on the left. We're losing always round. And, you know, I'm not terribly bright. I'm, I'm sure that somebody in the Home Office can see that. But you're talking something, well, you're, you've hit the nail on the head, Peter. You're talking about the fact that we only think in short-term gaps. We don't think and plan long-term. We don't plan on elderly social care on long-term. We don't plan on, you know, amount of primary school places that we have for young children. It's not rocket science to think that, actually, if you put, put people in place, when you take them away, those vacancies are still going to be there. So you're right. We have to train for the long-term. But are we ever going to do anything different from what we already do now? 
Well, I, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, Katie. I, I, I'd like to say, what I, again, is broken record time. I fail to understand how we can make the same mistakes again and again and again. Back, back in the 90s, was, was it the Labour Party said that 50% of the country should go to university? Yeah. And everyone jumped on board with that and said, oh, we're all going to be geniuses and lord it over our fellow man. And then people come out with degrees in ballet and horticultural studies, which, which there's not a lot of ballet dancing gardeners the last time I checked. You know, and, and the idea that somehow our young people, if they don't have, you know, a six-figure job, the minute they come out of school, then technically they're failures. You know, everyone needs to understand that you have to have a skill that allows you to earn money. Now, you can choose your... Why can't we get a set of skills available to our young people that allow them to either, A, be flexible in what they do, or B, can change and develop those skills into something that evolves with the economy. Yeah? It doesn't strike me that we have an adequate education system that is providing the skills for our young people, and that must be the root cause of this failure, mustn't it? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Peter, thank you very much indeed. Some very good points made there, Peter, uh, calling in from South London. Sean is sending rather a good uh, tweet. He says, best line in ages, not too many ballet dancing gardeners out there. That was a particularly good line, wasn't it? And here's one from uh, Annette, who says, Mike and Katie should be running the country. There is an element of unemployed in this country who don't want to work, however. Uh, and she does say, I reiterate, an element. And that is true. Um, but they're a very small element of it. So I'd say probably at least half of the people who are currently unemployed long term would like to have a job. But they don't know what to train for, or they haven't got the money to train, and they're not able to do so. And of course, be really wary of those new work statistics, because often those those people are on zero contracts yeah. or they are working for someone like Uber, which right. means they're actually self-employed, right. busting their gut to, to make right. minimum wage. They're not on the kind of higher wages that what we want to be seeing. Although we had slight wage in, increase recently, it, it's still stagnated Also, many, the Department for Work and Pensions has always been very good at moving people from one place to another, thereby removing them from one list. So it appears that they're not uh, uh, unemployed well, you know, anymore. What, what do you call employed? Is employed five hours a week? I don't think that's employed. I don't know. I think that's a little bit of work. So, yeah. You know, just a supplement well i suppose income, it's not unemployed is the that's point the, but, but it's, it's misleading in yeah. my opinion it is misleading but we'll get more of that coming up very shortly because right now uh, the big story of the day apparently uh, not in my world i have to say uh, is is it yanny or is it laurel this is a piece of audio that's been going around uh, everybody apparently is talking about it uh, you and i have not really spoken about it we're going to speak to a linguistic expert very shortly however uh, let's have a listen first of all uh, to the um, audio in question. You can tell me whether you hear Yanni or Laurel. 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 Well, that's Laurel. It's quite it? obviously Laurel. Yeah, it's definitely not Yanni. It's not Yanni. No. Who in their right mind no is saying Yanni? Is that Yanni? No. No. So you and I both agree that it's Laurel. It's Laurel. Okay, let's talk to Susie Stiles, who's a psycholinguist, a brain language and intersensory perception specialist uh, down in Singapore at Nanyang Technological University. Uh, Susie, a very good uh, morning to you. Hi, Susie. Hello from Singapore. Hello. Um, now, are we wrong? Uh, well, you're not wrong, but it's only part of the story. Okay. So... Uh, this morning, when I woke up to this audio going viral, uh, the first thing I did was had a listen uh, and thought, I think there's something really complicated going on here. This isn't just something you could hear either way, or if it is, 
there's something funny going on. So I did a bit of linguistic dirt digging. Okay. And I, I ripped the audio uh, and took it into some uh, free-to-download, very easy-to-use acoustic analysis software to have a look at what was going on with the structure of the sound. So let me tell you a little bit about how we make sounds and how we can tell which ones are which. Okay. Uh, whenever we speak, we vibrate our vocal cords, which are in the middle of our throat, just behind where your Adam's apple is. So if you stick your fingers on your throat while you're speaking, you'll be able to feel a little bit of a buzz coming mm. from your vo vocal cords. Uh, now, everything above that, uh, there's a pipe that comes out of your throat and then through your mouth, which we call the vocal tract. And it has three main features that control the way that the sound actually seems to other people, right? So there is an upwards part, a forwards part, and the shape of your lips. Right. Uh, so this speech pipe has just three elements, and each of them we can see when we look at the acoustic quality of the recording. So what we normally see is three dark bands, and one of those bands tells us how long the upwards part of the vocal tract is. One of those bands tells us how long the forwards part of the vocal tract is. And one of those bands tells us about the shape of the lips. Now, because we can move our tongue and our jaw and our lips while we're speaking, it's as though we were to take two instruments like a trombone and a tuba, and they can play the same note, but they always sound like their own instrument. Right. Does right. it sound does it sound like the same note though, or does it sound like a different note? So if you imagine the sound I'll I'll even do some really bad impersonations of instruments here. Right. Um, if you imagine the sound of a trombone, it's kind of a sort of a noise. Okay. And the sound of a tuba is more like a Yeah, that's good, yeah, okay. Right? Okay. So the only difference Can you between do a those cornet? two notes. Sorry? Can you do a cornet? Oh <laughs> <laughs> very good. <laughs> Well done. Um, but the only difference between those instruments is the shape of the pipe. Right. Right. So the trombone's got a skinny, long pipe that sort of goes in a long loop, and the tuba has a big, curly-whirly pipe. Um, so those two instruments will always sound like themselves, but the human voice is an instrument where we keep changing the shape of the instrument as we speak. So whenever we make a different sound like e or ooh, all we do is we move our meat around and change the shape of the instrument. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right. Now, this is all fascinating okay. stuff, uh, Susie, but we haven't got all day, unfortunately. So can you tell us why Sorry. I hear Laurel and I don't hear Yanni? So what I mentioned before, there should be just three dark bands that tell us about the shape of the pipe. When I had a look at that acoustic recording, there were five. I see. Is that unusual? So, well, it's impossible. You'd have to have 
two tongues in order to be able to make five different vocal sounds like that. Right. Right? So so what's going on here is someone has created this stimulus that has more energy bands than normal. And what the brain is trying to do is say, when I'm looking for the first one, there are two options. Which one do I choose? Right. When I'm looking for the second one, there are two options. Which ones do I choose? Um, and this is why some people go for option one, some people go for option two. And is it nothing? And is it nothing to do with your hearing? Uh, is it all to do? What, what is it? You know, why do some people hear something else? It's the way that the brain resolves the ambiguity. So what that means is um, some brains will choose to pay more attention to the high frequency sounds. Okay. Some brains will choose to pay more attention to the lower frequency sounds. So whether you're looking for that first band of energy or the second band of energy could differ between people, but to some extent it will also depend on what device you're playing the sound on. <laughs> so if you're listening in an environment where there's lots of really good quality bass, uh, so you're listening on your stereo and you can hear all of the lower parts of the sound really clearly, then you're probably going to go for the laurel option. Okay. If you're listening on a device that has a sort of a tinier, higher frequency sound, so maybe just on your mobile or on a small radio set, uh, then you're more likely to hear the Yanni option. But Susie, doesn't it have something to do with the fact also it's a computer-generated word in terms of it's not just me talking to Mike, Mike talking to me. It's it's a computer-generated word, so they're playing about it's with it all news. the time. It's fake news. Sort of, yeah. It, well, it's, it's like a trick-eye kind of illusion where yes. someone has made up this sound that could go either way. And no human body could produce the sound. It's been made to sound like it could be one human body doing it this way or a different human body doing it that way. And all of that information is in there at the oh. same time. So, yeah, absolutely. It's because and, it's, uh, and do we know, Susie, do we know where this has come from? I mean, it's sort of appeared on Twitter this morning and nobody seems <laughs> to know precisely who's put it there. Well, it can be traced back to uh, a Reddit user who posted it a few days ago, uh-huh. uh, Reddit user Roland Camry, uh, who nobody... Otherwise known as Yanni to his mates. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it may have a history beyond that. Oh. It seems to me to be a colossal and utter waste of time. But it's fascinating <laughs> anyway, Susie. Thank you very much indeed. Susie Stiles, a psycholinguist. Uh, now now you know what a psycholinguist is, right? You were asking earlier, what is that? And she has been possibly um, giving us the kind of information that nobody else in the world has ever given anybody um, about tongues, about you know frequencies, about the three different parts of your mouth and how they work. Fascinating I know quite a lot from Susie, and yeah, this is a, this is something that she's clearly very specialised in. Yeah. But whether it's Yanni or it's Laurel, who cares? I don't give I a say. toss. Yeah, well, exactly. Let's have a listen to what some of the people uh, out there who have listened to it make of it all. Laurel, that is one hundred percent Laurel. And if you hear Yanni, you're a weirdo. Laurel, one hundred percent hearing Yanni. Laurel, it's Laurel. It's got to be Laurel. Who's not? I mean, how do you even hear Yanni and Laurel? They don't even sound the same. Laurel, yeah, definitely a Yanni. That Laurel. I am Team Laurel. How can you hear Yanni? It's clearly you must. You need your ears sorted. Laurel, Laurel, definitely. Oh, Laurel, definitely Laurel. Laurel, Laurel. Yeah, I'm you and Yanni. I don't know how anyone else is hearing anything different. Definitely Yanni. 
See, if you're Welsh, you hear Yanny. That doesn't come as any surprise to me. And if Sandy Waugh in the office, that was a little uh, vox pop in the office, thinks that it's Laurel, then she is the queen of language as far as I'm concerned. And she's right, and so are we. Job done. Job done. Still the best football song, though, great isn't it? Song. Takes you all the way back great to Euro 96, song. which is also memories. the great football tournament we had in this country, which was so good and so kind of enthralling and so all-encompassing. People standing in the street, watching big screens. People who weren't even interested in football is were joining in, you know? Because it was so brilliant. Yeah, I was in, in the pub watching this, and there's this big guy, and he said, if England score again, I'm going to run down the street naked. And yeah, sure enough, within right. about five minutes... <laughs> There he was, running down the yeah. street naked. And I mean, brilliant. it tells you, and I mean, we, football gets a terribly bad rap in this country, and football fans do, sometimes quite rightly. But the police in the, uh, in the Times here this morning, Deputy Chief Constable Mark Roberts of the National Police Chiefs Council, has made a complete wreck of this by claiming that basically British fans should not go uh, flying the flag of St George in Russia. Well, I would think a better piece of advice would be don't actually go to Russia at all, because it's probably going to be damn dangerous. Let's talk to Martin Daubney, uh, who's an England fan, broadcast extraordinaire. Martin, very good uh, morning to you. Hi, Martin. Good morning. Hi, guys. Yeah, listen, um, I, I, I'm sure you loved hearing uh, three uh, three lines on my shirt there just as much as we yeah. did. But, I mean, surely the point about Russia is that it's a very dangerous place to go and a very dangerous place to host a World Cup because of what we saw the Russians do at the very least down in uh, Marseille in France. Yeah, and I think today's comments are spectacularly toned down. Mm. You know, to somehow um, make out that England fans are being well, quote, antagonistic and imperialistic yeah. by flying the St. George's Cross it is scandalous. I mean, this is, equi- this is the equivalent of, a, of some out-of-touch judge saying women shouldn't wear short skirts yeah. on a night out. Right. You know, somehow, somehow implying that, that England fans will, will, what, deserve to be attacked by the Russian ultras, the world's most you know, rightly feared and thuggish football hooligans. The true story here is that the police don't want to antagonise the Russians after Salisbury. You know, politics has taken um, precedence over common sense. You know, it's, a de- it's going to be a dangerous place to be. Lots of people I know aren't bothering. You know, the old bill are going to look like something out of a Terminator movie. <laughs> you know, there are drunk tanks specifically lined up for English fans, which actually might be the safest place in some of these yeah. towns. Yeah, And to somehow make out, um, not only is this um, an England football fan issue, but then to take it a stage further and kind of, um, unravel this this secondary conversation about how the St George's flag is, is now seen as some kind of banner of xenophobia and jingoism and the EDL and Tommy Robinson and slavery and you know all of the worst things about being English are being dredged up on a four-year cycle. And I think it's disgusting. I think football fans have every right to be shocked and outraged yeah. today. I mean, the funny thing is, Martin, and you'll probably know this too, that a lot of English football fans that, that I know personally and also that, that ring into a show that I do on Talk Sport quite a lot as well are saying yeah. they're not going to this World Cup because they do worry that it's not going to be safe, that it's not going to be uh, a, a, a cakewalk, that it's not just going to be the usual kind of, you know, shouting and screaming and singing at each yeah. other. It's actually going to be seriously, seriously violent. And so, so yeah. maybe um, the Russians have said in the past, haven't they, that they like to go after the English because they invented hooliganism and all of that. Mm-hmm. And we do see still from time to time, you know, the square full of English fans getting drunk and singing stupid songs. And it's, it's not a pretty sight sometimes. No, but when you start to unpick, I mean, you are correct in saying that um, if you like, you know, 
England has become like a trophy take, and particularly mm. um, the seizing of flags, you know, like in a video game, let's go and get the St George's Cross from those guys, that becomes a trophy. That is a game that, that football fans play, and particularly the Russians who are, you know, we've seen when you analyse who these characters are, you know, these are often people with military training, you know, seriously hard men. You know, this isn't a bunch of kind of overweight 50-somethings who, who've had a line of this and too many drinks of that. Yeah. These are proper yobbos. And, you know, so going up against them, you're right, it's, it's making many lads stay away. On top of the fact, the enormous distances that England fans have got to travel between games, I think it's starting to look like something that's going to be very popular for the football sofa fan. Yes, no, absolutely right. And also, by coincidence, just to add insult to injury for this uh, idiotic remark from the Deputy Chief Constable Mark Roberts, the England, oh, the New England away kit, I don't know if you've noticed, has been released today. And guess what? It's got a St George's flag right down the middle of it. <laughs> well, I mean, hopefully that won't be too provocative on the pitch and we don't get kicked in the air. Well, you know, I mean, there you go. But, I mean, if, play, <laughs> if the fans want to wear the shirt, which they often do, they're going to be wearing right. it, not just carrying it around. Yeah, and I, I just think this goes back to the root, you know, the root conversation of, you know, somehow blaming fans. Every football fan on the planet should be free to carry their flag and free to be patriotic and proud. And that's what World Cups used to be. Yeah. Now, they used to be a coming together under a banner, under a flag. You know, Stoke City along, alongside Sheffield, Nottingham Forest, you know, for once, shaking hands with Derby County fans. Now, it was a coming together. And like now, the media, you know... Is, is a part of this. It loves to demonise the flag. It loves to demonise Englishness. It loves to make it toxic. And, 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 and the very worst kind of elements of, of behaviour that happen under that flag are portrayed as some sort of norm. Well, as you know, Mike, you know, all of us know that go to football. You know, this is a tiny minority of the mindless and the great number of football fans are, are brilliant, tax-paying people. You've got to earn a lot of money to go and tra- travel these tournaments. Yeah. These are not the yobbos of yesteryear, but still, those are the people that dominate this conversation. I think that's a travesty. But Martin, I think that what we've talked about earlier in the show, about how sometimes this flag has been reclaimed by the wrong people, because as you Mm. say, football fans are not those type of people at all. They often take their kids, they travel as families. It's a big family occasion for us to support Mm. our our team. Well, you say that, but then there was the English English Defence League, which was largely made up of an awful lot of football fans, you know. It's a small, small minority. no, I get that, but they are... uh, you know, identified by the, the St George's flag, and that's my argument that the flag's been uh, you know, adopted by racists, and we want our flag back. Do you think it's now time for a national campaign, possibly with our, you know, our sports stars, our footballing uh, heroes, yeah. and uh, the public, to actually say we want our flag back? We want it for the right reasons. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, you know, part of the backlash of the EDL kind of seizing hold of the St George's flag, if you like, was precisely a reaction against the fact that a whole conversation was cropping up, that it was offensive for it to be flown in streets, outside town halls. And so it was, it was a deliberate, if you like, counteraction. And, of course, some of those people are unsavoury, but they are not the majority of, of people, as you say. And I think you're right. You know, I was at this parenting group on Friday, and I was in a room full of Ethiopians, Somalians, Jamaicans, even a woman in a full burqa. And they, and they were talking about celebrating their culture. And when they came to me, they said, what do you think about being English? And I said, do you know what? I feel slightly ashamed to be English. I think that, that's the problem. It's like I'm made to feel ashamed all the time. And these people who are from all around the world, they said, oh, that's really sad. You know, who is it who's doing that? And I went, good point. Yeah. You know, who is it? Did any of those people actually identify themselves as English, though? Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. They, well, they were more likely to say they were British. Yeah. 
And I think that's another thing. You know, um, the English carry the, the can for the bad behaviour. You know, the Scottish don't, the Welsh don't. And that's right. largely because even though the Scots arguably drink far more, they don't seem to get into the aggro. Yeah. But a lot of this aggro is caused by the English fans being singled out by, by the firms abroad yeah. who want to take English scalps. And, I mean, do you think it's actually worse now than it was before devolution? Because somehow we do seem a much more divided nation now. Mm. Yeah, I do think that. And, and, you know, this week, you know, we saw the United Nations um, rapporteur on racism saying that, the, that Britain is more racist since Brexit. And I think, by what metric? What, yeah. tweets? Yeah. Yeah, how I do mean, you judge that? I don't agree with that, by the way. I don't. I don't at all. And like you know, like I said, I, I live in, in in Peckham, and you know, I'm I'm in a minority as a white person. I don't see any racism on the streets. I don't see any trouble when I mix with these people. It's not there. It's a media script mm. propelled by the liberal left who would act like us to believe that we're more divided. I don't think we are. I don't. And we see a lot less trouble at football tournaments now than we ever have, uh, mainly because it's very hard for the proper hooligans to get abroad. Yeah. You have to follow England, you know, religiously and expensively to even qualify for, for the draw to get tickets. So we've dealt with this in hand. We can't control, you know, flashpoints in market squares where, where plastic furniture is being thrown in the sunshine. That's always going to happen. And, but I, I want to repeat again, if you talk to England fans who are involved in this, it's so often the case that the foreign fans come looking for the Englanders, but the scripts, the front pages are always England fans riot again. But that's started by foreign fans. I know that they aren't always uniformly saints, but they are provoked because their reputation goes ahead of them. Yes, no, I think you're absolutely right. Martin, thanks very much indeed. Martin Daubney there. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.